Well, I want to say good morning to each of you this morning. It is great to have you here at Stone Seal Community Church once again. And um, I have a few announcements I'll make at the end of the service. I think what we'll do is just roll that, Jeremy, to the end of the service uh, announcements. And then uh, we'll just pick up and continue here as, as planned. Um, one of the favorite quotations, I was talking to Tim Skimmerhorn this morning. And he said one of his favorite quotations from the Chosen series, episode two, was when Mary Magdalene is having conversation with Nicodemus, the religious professional and Pharisee. And he is trying to figure out what in the world happened to her because she was demon-possessed and afflicted and oppressed by, by the uh, spirit world. She was liberated from that. And he was trying to figure out what had happened to her. And he, she's trying to explain to him what happened to her. And she doesn't really even know the person's name yet in the narrative uh, timeline of the, of the episode. And she says, you know, she says, I was one way, but now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And she says, even though I don't know his name, yet I will know him for the rest of my life. I was one way, but now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him. You know, my, my wife is a total Chosen fan, completely. And she has even got a couple of shirts, a sweatshirt um, with some of the, you know, the fan wear that they make, the, the Chosen swag that they make. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we're in a series called The Chosen. Um, it is available on your app. If you go to our stonesteel.com uh, um, uh, website, what you'll find is a lot of resources, study guides, um, opportunities to get into um, watch party groups for this series. And this is, and you can download the app and you can watch these episode, episodes on the life of Jesus where you encounter Jesus in ways you've never encountered him before. It's called The Chosen. But my wife is a total Chosen fan. And so we uh, actually um, ordered a couple of shirts and she's worn them you know, here and there. And one of the shirts that she has, has that quotation on it. Um, I was one way, but now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And she was wearing that at a grocery store in Fort Wayne. And uh, she said, someone looked at her shirt and kind of read it. And then they kind of got a smirk on their face. And then we were talking about that as we were going down the aisle, looking for hillbilly bread and peanut butter and jelly and things that, you know, you normally get the grocery store, and we're talking about that. And then it kind of dawned on us, wait a second, she probably thinks that that shirt means something than, than we know that it means. You know, like I was one way and now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him, kind of like, you know, boyfriend got me pregnant kind of deal, you know, kind of one of those deals in her head. She probably has no idea really what the message is about. And maybe that's you. Maybe it's like, well, I'm not sure I know what that quote means, but I'd like to know, right? And maybe you would. Maybe you would like to come to the place in your spiritual journey where it's like, you know, I was one way and I want to be different. And I know if I'm ever going to be different, the thing that's going to have to happen is him. And that quote really rings true, not just for the life of Mary Magdalene, it really rings true for the four or five closest followers of Jesus that the chosen uh, kind of 
reveals to us these close followers of Jesus in the early episodes of, of The Chosen. And there's eight episodes, and this is an eight Sunday series where we're going to be dealing with the first um, eight episodes of, of season one, all eight episodes of season one. And we see these characters interact with Jesus, and it's like these, some of these characters are far from God. And somehow when they encounter Jesus, something changes, and the God they felt so far from now all of a sudden feels so intimate and close through the person of Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. They experience Jesus and suddenly God shows up and the thing that happened in between was him. So last week we met Mary Magdalene, the former present prostitute of Magdala, uh, who was demon possessed. Um, there's Nicodemus, like I said, the strict Pharisee and religious person. You're gonna meet Andrew and Peter, you've already met them. And of course, Peter is one of the outspoken uh, apostles and followers of Jesus in the group. And they all come to a place where they have conviction and confidence in a savior. You know, I, last week I talked about how the gospel is not so much an argument to assent to, though it is that, but it's not so much about that as it is a person that you place your confidence in. And that's the gospel. And that's where these, each of these followers of Jesus eventually get to. And so today we're going to focus on the life of somebody called Matthew. And he's actually Matthew Levi because you're going to see that he has a couple of names. And every time that Matthew is mentioned in the Bible, if it's not a list of the apostles, he's known as the tax collector. And I like Matthew in the Chosen series. I mean, it's great to know that even though you're OCD, you can still be a great follower of Jesus. And Matthew definitely is OCD in the series. And his personality is quirky and he longs for a family. He longs to, for a place to belong. And I think episode, episode two actually does a great job of laying this out and helping us to amplify um, this in, in Matthew's life. So everybody is preparing for Shabbat in episode two, right? It's the Jewish Sabbath. It's a time when everybody um, gathers together for the family meal and there's peace and there's connection and there's, um, um, you know, a longing to be with one another. And so everybody is, is moving towards Shabbat. And I actually went to Israel several years ago and it's interesting what happens on that, on that Sabbath Eve how everybody's hastening and running around trying to get last minute preparations made so they can celebrate Shabbat or the Jewish Sabbath. And so everybody comes together and it's intriguing how the story is weaved because different ones are preparing for the Shabbat meal, the, the time of, of family gathering. And so Peter is, he's at the, he's preparing for this Shabbat and he's going to be at the Shabbat meal, but he's making excuses as to why he's not keeping Shabbat. He's in debt and he, he, uh, is not sure how he's going to meet all of his financial obligations and his wife calls him on it. And even though he, he's there at the dinner, he's not really there because he wants to fish on the, on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, so he can get ahead of everybody and maybe get some extra finances and pay his bills. And so that's what was happening in Peter's life. And then you have Nicodemus, the religious professional. 
and he's, he, he knows how to do Shabbat. He, he knows how the, the things to quote and the passages to read, and he knows the, how to present the food. And so he's done this so many times, and yet he's revered by his students, and yet there, he knows inside there has to be something more than just keeping religious rules, something he was really, really good at. So you've got Peter who's thinking about breaking Shabbat to get ahead of financially. You've got Nicodemus, the professional, who perfectly keeps the Sabbath, and yet he's empty inside. And then you've got Mary Magdalene, who's keeping the Shabbat meal for the first time in a long time, per last week's message. And she sets out this empty chair, hoping that a prophet or Elijah might come and fill it, as her mom and dad taught her as a little girl. And so she kind of keeps that tradition going and she sets out the chair and lo and behold, someone knocks at the door. This someone who's touched her life, whose name she doesn't yet know. And he knocks on the door and she invites him in and, she, and he sits in the chair of the prophet, the longed for prophet. And finally, in episode two, those of you who have watched it, those of you who are gonna watch it, Matthew is all alone with his black dog and nobody to have Shabbat meal with. Matthew, his parents have excommunicated him from the family and they um, know that their son, he's Jewish, he was raised Jewish. I'll get into that in just a second. But he, their son helps collect taxes for Rome. And he's, of course, from the Jewish nation of Israel. And they can't stand him for that. In fact, if you look at parallel passages, you're going to see that not only is Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, the story of Matthew's encounter with Jesus and his invitation to follow and be a disciple of Jesus, but you're going to see in the parallel accounts of Mark and the parallel accounts of, of Luke, you're going to see that Matthew was not just called Matthew, he was called Levi, the son of Alphaeus. And so he was Matthew Levi. And, and so he thought maybe if he, if he used his Greek name, Matthew, that maybe that could downplay the Levi, the, the Hebrew name, the Jewish name of Levi and all that that implied. And maybe he could spare his family some, some trauma and some embarrassment in the community by going by his his Greek name, and, and, and maybe they wouldn't shun his family as much as they shunned him. And so he went by the name Matthew Levi, and, and, and even though Levi was a solid Hebrew name, it had implications that maybe by naming him Levi, that maybe he would grow up and be a priest and a temple worker and all the things that would be implied with that. But instead, Matthew Levi grew weary of poverty and yet numbers and analysis came easy for him. And he, can even, he could even process the taxes without having to look people in the eye because he had attention to detail. And when we look at that, and I did a little digging on that this week, how that Alfred Edersheim, a Jewish scholar, talks about that. He talks about how the tax collector and how that worked, how that you would bid, being under the oppressive Roman government, 
you would bid on the right to assess taxes, and the highest bidder got the award. They reawarded the contract and given the taxing franchise, and then they could, they could impose the taxes, and they, they taxed everything. They taxed property and land, and then there was another set of taxes, and they would, they would tax the food industry, and, and they would tax if you had so many axles on your wagons, they would tax that. I mean, nothing's changed. It's all just like it is today. And so you had all these taxes that were assessed. And then if you were shameless, uh, you know, or if you didn't want to be embarrassed by being a tax collector, you would hire a front person to collect those taxes for you. And if you were shameless about collecting the taxes, which is what it's implied in Matthew's account, you would go ahead and just sit in that tax booth and you would collect those taxes on your own. And you would get the... the uh, abuse and take the abuse of the public because of the vocation that you had. It'd be kind of like us, you know, walk, waking up tomorrow morning and seeing foreign soldiers on our streets and in our neighborhoods and then seeing our neighbor, instead of being, you know, trying to figure out what to do, seeing a neighbor conspiring with them as to see how they can help them impose their rule. That's kind of the world of a tax collector in biblical time. That's how they were viewed. You're conspiring with an oppressive nation. How could you do that? How could you abandon our traditions, our, our traditions like Shabbat? How could, you, how could you partner with these people and fraternize with the enemy in such a way? And so this was how Matthew was viewed. And so in episode two, Matthew is pictured walking down a narrow alleyway. He's carrying a covered dish, his napkins. He's got napkins protecting his fingers so he doesn't want, he's OCD, right? He doesn't want germs on his fingers so he has to go wash his hands again. And so he's got napkins prepare, uh, protecting his hands and fingers. He's dressed down, he's lost in his thoughts. And in his longings, he's thinking that maybe this year, his parents and his sister will welcome him to Shabbat dinner like everybody else in Israel was getting to enjoy. It's Sabbath Eve. His family's gathered at their table and Matthew Levi goes to the window that he's been going to for every week to kind of peek through to watch his mother steaming a bowl on the candlelit table. And his sister places a couple of loaves in episode two. And Matthew remembers those childhood dinners that he took for granted. And he thinks maybe this year it'll be, or this week it'll be different. And yet, no one looks up at the window to see Matthew peering through, right? An old, obsessive, compulsive, tax-collecting Matthew Levi heads back home to do another Shabbat alone. Jesus knows this. He knows that that's Matthew Levi's story. And what he says, if you'll pull up slide number two for me, and evidently Matthew has heard of Jesus because Capernaum is the town that they're in at this time per the previous passage before Matthew uh, 9, 9 through 13, Matthew 1 through 8. He's in Capernaum and Jesus went on from there from the healing of the paralytic earlier in the chapter on the screen. And he saw a man named Levi, 
or a man named Matthew, and in, in Luke's gospel, it's Levi, the son of Alphaeus. In Mark's gospel, it's Levi. And so when we look at that, and we see that the name means gift from God, and his name is listed, like I said, it's listed Levi in Mark and Luke, and the name Levi indicates that he was from the tribe of Levi, and therefore he would have been uh, familiar with Levitical practices and codes. And I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Leviticus, but it's a difficult book. I think you'd have to be a little OCD to really understand all that's going on in Leviticus. And that was Matthew's future. And so his name suggests that at one time he was probably headed for the priesthood. He was going to be a Levite. He was going to be a temple worker. And so the, the Levites were defenders of Israel. They were the teachers of Israel and they would defend the sacred honor of Israel. And they didn't even get a land inheritance. They got like 46 or 48 cities. And so they would operate out of those cities. And so here's a guy who was originally meant to be consecrated to God and consecrated to the work uh, of protecting and guarding the nation and teaching the nation about God and his ways. And, and so this is what Israel has become. It's Matthew's way of showing you this was what I my future was and this is how far off Israel has become. We got Levites that are now sitting on, on the slide. They're now sitting at the tax collector's booth. It's very revealing. Person dedicated to God is now collecting taxes and lying about it, and and he's actually wish they had a reputation for overtaxing, so that anything they overtaxed they could collect, and that was their income. And Rome would support them in that. So it's very revealing. So OCD Matthew, he's politically unacceptable. He's religiously unacceptable. He's socially unacceptable. He's cheating people. And he's not allowed in the synagogues, in the temple area. He's, he's not even at home in, among the Romans because he is, after all, Jewish. And so wherever he is introduced in the Gospels, he's always introduced as the tax collector because that was his identity. So we read that Jesus shows up and Jesus says to him, Matthew, follow me, he told him. And after three stanzas of just as I am without one plea, Matthew got up and followed him. Is that what the text says? Or after an emotional appeal or an altar call, he got up and followed. It doesn't say that. It's the elegant simplicity of a transformed life. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew is so ready. He's so ready, even though everybody says, you know, you have the good life, Matthew. You're a tax collector, and yeah, you're a rich and wealthy man, and yeah, you got to put up with some social riffraff because of that, but you should be happy. You've got everything. And yet Matthew understands that he's, he doesn't have everything, that, that something happened and, and, and I was one way and now I feel different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And so Matthew got up and followed him. And I think it's very powerful that Luke in his account of this says that Matthew left everything. And Matthew's not going to tell you that because he's the one writing this. So he's modest. He's humble. He's not going to tell you he left everything. But Luke tells you that. He left everything. And he followed him. And evidently he, they end up at Matthew's house, which would have been a large house because 
You're going to see in just a second, a lot of people start showing up in verse 10 while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners, social outcasts, male and female from a lot of different vocations that would have been on the outskirts of Jewish society, right? Many tax collectors and sinners, they came and finally, for the first time, in Matthew Levi's life, he, has, he is actually doing what he was supposed to be doing his whole life. He was sharing the gospel. He, was, he had Jesus in his home, and he was ensuring that the people were learning and growing and, and being invited into a new life. And so he ate with him and his disciples, Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, come on. Why are you guys rejoicing when our nation is captive to the Romans? Why are you so happy? Why are you enjoying your life? Somehow, Jesus gives the impression that he not only liked their company, he even at times preferred it. And they couldn't figure out what was happening and Jesus is eating and, and, and eating is such a it's a it's so freighted with meaning in the first century world where when you would sit down and eat with someone it was an invitation to know them to come into my life I'll come into your life it was a a relationship to eat with someone like this a relationship was being established Jesus was was doing what he was called to do. Matthew was facilitating that at his spiritual birthday party. Jesus was there answering questions, interacting with the riffraff. And verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, because they're trying to figure out why your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus hears this and he gives them three simple reasons. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And it's like, could you imagine going to a doctor and complaining to the doctor? You know, I've got to tell you, doctor, you know, thanks for caring for me. That's awesome. But I don't care too much for the kind of people you associate with, right? Because you always seem to be around sick people. That's what that's like. That, that, of course you wouldn't say that. And, and who else would you expect a doctor to be associated with if it wasn't sick people? And so similarly, who else would you expect the Savior of sinners to be associated with than sinners who need to be saved? And so Jesus says it's a simple logic that a doctor has to be with his patients. But he says in verse 13, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so he gives them simple logic. And now he quotes scripture and he quotes Hosea 6, 6. And he says, I will have mercy, not sacrifice. It's not the sacrificial system that God is interested in. Okay, he's not just interested in dead animals. He wants a connection, a living connection with human beings. And the sacrificial system is just a, a, a symbol of that. And the way he says it, Jesus says it, go and learn, he says. So he, he argues from scripture and the way he says it in the rabbinic writings, that's like, that's like saying to a person with a seminary degree, go and learn what John 3.16 really says. 
after all those years of studying the Bible, what does it really say? And Jesus says, go and learn. You guys need to go and learn. Go and it's a way of rebuking these guys, these religious professionals who were, who were focused on all of the wrong things. And Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I find it intriguing that Jesus lumps all of humanity into two groups of people. In this passage, those who think they are righteous and people who know they are sinners. Those who think they're righteous and people who know they're sinners. You know, uh, when you look at this, and I want to go back to verse 9 and look at the, when Jesus says, follow me, I think there's four implications of that. Uh, and that I think that really work and that really call us out to be a follower of Jesus, to know that I was one way and now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him and I, and I know him and, and I will always know him. And in what way do we know him? Well, when we, when we look, when Jesus says, follow me, there's four things implied. And I think the first thing that's implied in this, and it's for all of us, is that, that when he says, follow me, it implies a new calling. I love how the text says that Jesus, he went on from there and he saw a man named Matthew. And so when you look at that, it's like he had eye contact with Matthew. Um, he, it means to, to see someone in this way. It means to, to actually see them and to lock eyes with them and, and to connect with them in this way. Something that Matthew probably didn't have done very often in a community that had learned to shun him. And so Jesus looked at him and, and he looked and he didn't just look at him as you kind of dig into this word. It's almost as if he looked right through him. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody look right through you. But he looks right through Matthew Levi. And he, he seems to see the longings of his heart. He seems to see and understand those Shabbat meals he's been missing out on all those years. The longing for community, the longing to be right with God, the longing to be connected with God, the longing to fulfill his, his calling from an early age as a, as a Levite. And, and, and one thing among many things that the chosen gets right, I think, is the character of Jesus. When he looks at you, there's a knowing and he says, follow me. I want to be on your team. I want a relationship with you. And I imagine Matthew probably watched Jesus walk by and thought, man, I wish, I wish he would choose me. I want to be on his team. But why would he want a guy like me? He wouldn't hang around with a tax collector, right? But Jesus says to him, and he sees him. And there's a new calling on Matthew's life. Follow me, Matthew. Follow me. Follow me implies a new calling. Follow me implies a new relationship. And, and when you start to, when you, as you watch the episodes and as you, as you read these stories from the Bible, you begin to realize that Jesus has to become central in your life. He has to be. And that, that maybe our relationship with Jesus has been on the periphery, the periphery of life. And now it's got to go deeper into the heart where we give him control and we give him centrality in our life. And so Jesus comes and he says, follow me to Matthew. He doesn't say follow that. 
He doesn't say, follow these. Jesus doesn't say, follow my people. He says, follow me. So there's a new relationship that he's calling him to. Maybe he's calling you to that new relationship where Jesus isn't on the periphery. He wants to be central. And, and maybe even through this series, you're sensing that. And, and, and follow me implies a new calling. It implies a new relationship. It implies a new authority because you've got to decide who Jesus is. You've got to decide the guy that can call you away from your vocation, right? The guy that has the right to do that. And I think so many times we want to get to the hot button issues and what the Bible says about various issues, whether it's homosexuality or transgenderism or abortion or injustice or adultery or pornography. But Jesus says, I'm not going to deal with any of that with you until you decide how things are, how you're going to deal with me. You decide. I'm not going to tell you why your life went this way or that way. I want you to know, I want you to decide who is the authority in your life. Is it you or is it me who has the right to say, follow me? You, you have to figure out who he is. And when you have to decide how you're, and you have to decide how you're going to relate to him. So we all come. And when we say, well, maybe I'll come to Jesus if I like his agenda. And, and that's not the way to follow. We have to say, well, if he's Jesus Christ, then I have to get with his agenda. Because in his agenda, there's life, there's vitality, there's discipleship. He is my creator. And, and, and his agenda is going to be life for me because he is my redeemer. And when Jesus says, follow me, he's inviting you to a new calling. He's inviting you to a new relationship. He's inviting you to a new authority. Who is he? How are you going to treat him? And is he going to be authoritative in your life? And finally, when Jesus says, follow me, to Matthew, to Mary Magdalene and so many others, it implies a new sacrifice. Some people want to know. They always want to know the upfront. You know, well, what, what's it going to cost me if I follow Jesus? What do I have to give up? Will I have to give up something if I follow Jesus? Well, not to earn salvation for sure, but in order to follow him closely, you just might have to give up something. As a matter of fact, you will. You'll have to give up emptiness. You'll have to give up misery. You'll have to give up lonely Shabbat meals at a table for, set for many, but only one attending. You'll have to give up the fear of death. You'll have to give up your guilt. How's that? Yeah. You'll have to give up something to follow him. But would you like to get rid of those things? God will give you fulfillment, purpose, and peace, and a guaranteed hope. And he does it through Jesus. Are you following him today? Would you like to? Well, as soon as I get well, I'm going to go to the doctor. You ever heard anybody say that? As soon as I can clean up my life and conquer some of my bad habits, then I'll become a Christian and I'll go to church and I'll be a disciple. 
And, the, and that statement is just as crazy as the man who says he's going to the doctor as soon as he gets well. But even though it's crazy, it's one of the most widespread mistaken notions and ideas both inside and outside the church that Christianity is only for good people. And I think what Matthew is trying to write here in his gospel is that Christianity is not just for good people. It's for honest people. Because the way Jesus breaks it down, there are people who are, think they're righteous. And there are people who know they're sinners. And that's how he lumps humanity. Where do you fall in that categorization this morning? You see, Christianity and following Jesus is not just for good people. It's not as if there's a secret handshake to know or it's not like a gym where you pay your membership dues to belong. It's not a social group or a self-help class or an attempt to hold on to some traditions of your ancestors. No, no, Christianity is about people who know themselves, who they really are. And they recognize this deficiency and that somehow I need to meet him and, and, and I was one way and, and now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him and I'll know him for the rest of my life because he's the one who, who bid me come out of my tax collecting booth, my idol of my life, the identity of my life. He's the one that invited me to step out of it. And that's why I'm chosen in him. And sometimes um, Christianity gets a little messy. It's sometimes it's a little hectic. Uh, sometimes life is a little stressful. It's a little bloody. It's a little unpredictable. It's like an emergency room sometimes for the sick. You know, uh, Tony Campolo, slide number seven on the screen He's the edgy storytelling sociologist from Eastern College in Pennsylvania. I am not sure on his current status. He may be emeritus status at this time, but he's, he's given his life, much of his life, um, to defending and loving the unlovely. And he tells the story of going from Pennsylvania, uh, the state of Pennsylvania, to the state of Hawaii, and how it messed up his biological clock. Because... Um, 3 a.m. in Hawaii felt like 9 a.m. in Pennsylvania. And maybe you've done some flying around the country or other uh, time zones and things. And boy, that's true. It takes you a couple days to kind of get re recalibrated. And so uh, Tony Campolo says it's 3.30 in the morning in Honolulu. And he's hungry. He thinks it's 9.30. He's ready to eat. He wants a coffee and a donut. And so he finds this greasy spoon that was still open at 3.30 in the morning in Honolulu. It's a rougher area for this coffee and donut he's looking for. And he said there was a group of loud, boisterous women of the street that came in at 3.30 in the morning in a rough section of Honolulu. And he's sitting there on his chair at the table and he overhears one of them saying that tomorrow is her 39th birthday. And her friends responded, yeah, okay, whatever. They're not really moved by her comment that she's never had a birthday party. And yeah, she's 39 and big deal and whatever. And let's be on with our, our morning, right? Well, after 
the, the women left, Campolo, who overheard all of this, had a conversation with the cook of the restaurant. And he said, hey, he said, do these ladies come in here every, every morning at this time? And he said, yes, they do. He said, hey, he said, what do you think about throwing a birthday party for the 39-year-old lady in here tomorrow night? What, you think we could do that? And the cook and his wife were excited about it. And they knew the girls personally. And Agnes was the one who was going to be 39. And she had never had a party. And, and Campolo said, hey, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here at 2.30 a.m. And I'll help you decorate the place. And I'll bring the cake. And Campolo had the place decked out. Sure enough, the next morning at 2.30 a.m. At 3.15 a.m., evidently the wife of the owner of the restaurant had spread the word and and all the, the the pimps and the druggies and the prostitutes and the women of the night okay everybody was there at 3 30 a.m on the dot ready to celebrate agnes's birthday party 3 30 on the dot agnes rolls in with her friends and everybody in the greasy spoon restaurant yells out happy birthday agnes and she loses it and they kept, they kind of gave her some time to get it together. And they kept it prodding her. Hey, cut the cake, Agnes. We want some cake. It's your birthday. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. Campolo writes, Agnes looked down at the cake. And then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, Look, is it all right with you if I... Uh, I mean, is it okay if I kind of, uh, what I want to ask you is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it okay if we don't eat it right away? I want to show it to my mom. Agnes left her birthday party with her cake. And Tony said, I didn't know what to do. And he said, oh, I just decided to lead, lead, lead everybody in a prayer time, right? And so he prayed for Agnes, and he prayed for her salvation. And he says, looking back on it now, it seems strange for a sociologist, a Christian sociologist, to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning, but there I was. And after he prayed, the diner cook said, hey... You never told us you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And Campolo responded, well, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And the cook protested sarcastically. No, you don't. There's no such church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd join it. You see, in Chosen... There's a Jesus you've never encountered. And he likes to throw spiritual birthday parties for tax collectors who were never included in Shabbat meals. And until you get that, you'll never get the gospel. We can learn some valuable lessons from the life of Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. Jesus can call and use anyone he pleases, including you. The gospel is for imperfect people. 
that's for sure. Everyone has the ability to reach out to others. Absolutely, we do. But the one overarching lesson we've got to get is that Jesus bids you follow me. And when he says follow me, it's a calling. It's, it's a decision for you to make him an authoritative voice in your life. He can ask you to leave anything he wants at any time. He can ask you to throw birthday parties at 3.30 in Honolulu anytime. It's an invitation for you to sit down with him and get to know him. And let him stamp you as his own. Because everybody needs to come to the point in their spiritual journeys where they can say, I was one way, and now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Several years after this, they tied Matthew to a stake. And they put wood and kindling around it, and they burn him up. Because he, bear, he bore witness to the truth of that sandaled Galilean Savior who said, Matthew, I've got something else for you to count besides pennies and denarii and shekels. I've got something else for you to do. And he may have something for you to do. Oh, I'm not saying he's going to ask you to leave your vocations. But he might ask you to throw a birthday party for a 39-year-old who's never had one at 3.30 in the morning. And when you say, I'll follow him, I think Campola has it right. The kingdom of God is a party. Follow me. Are you willing to follow? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning and Thank you so much for this chosen series. And I just have a sense here this morning that Jesus has been on the periphery, maybe. Uh, Maybe he's not been as central as he needs to be. And we're getting to know you, Lord, and we want to know you so much better than we do. And in a sense, we've known you all our life, even though maybe we haven't recognized your work in our life the way we maybe should have or could have. But here we are this morning and we're on this journey called The Chosen and we know that you've chosen us to be a part of it. People viewing online and people here in our physical building and others who are doing us from afar. We know this morning that you wanna do a powerful work in them and through them. And I, um, I thank you for the Jesus that we see here who sets aside the social stigmatisms and the ostracisms that Matthew Levi had to live with. He sets that aside and he invites him to be on the team. And I can't help but think that there's some sitting in their tax collector booth this morning bearing the stigmatisms and ostracisms of social pariahs, maybe in network circles or network Uh, connections and relationships and family connections. And Lord, you know the family dysfunction, the vocational dysfunction, relational dysfunction. You know. 
You know that. And in all of that, I think you're inviting us to follow, to say yes. And so I I pray this morning that we, each of us, would step out of our booth, our old identities, and we'll we'll, uh, step into the new thing that you're doing. And the only way that's going to happen is that you have to be an authoritative voice. And I want you to be that authoritative voice in my life. I need you to be that. And I asked and prayed this morning that anybody here in this series at this time, they would take that next step. They might have OCD. They might wash their hands 25 times a day. They might check the stove multiple times to make sure it's off. They might count things incessantly, Lord. Oh, anybody can follow Jesus, even OCD, Matthew, Levi's. Anybody can follow. And whatever we are obsessed with and whatever our compulsions may be, we totally yield, trust you and control of these things. We totally yield and surrender it to you today. You are responsible for our lives, our outcomes. We simply want to follow you in a simple, elegant way that Matthew does here. And so without an invitational hymn, without a great emotional appeal, um, without guilt manipulative techniques, we just lay before this congregation that simple invitation that Jesus says, follow me. And this morning, may we all rise and follow in your name. Amen. Will you stand with me? You've been a great group. Praise God. I love you and affirm you in Jesus. Now go from this place. Follow him. I want to just share quickly right before you walk out the door. I got a, one of the things we try to do in this community is to love the community and care for the community as best we can. I told Jennifer Duncan, let me know before August 1st if you've got volunteer needs at the back to school event on Thursday, 3 to 7, because I'll share it with my congregation. I'm sure the needs will be met. Pull up that first slide, okay? That just tells a little bit about it. Next slide, okay? There's things, things that people, uh, they need help with food service. They need help with traffic flow. Um, they need help with um, food giveaway items and there's a registration and there's backpacks and and it looks like the hygiene kits which is us and school supplies that other volunteers is taking care of the traffic flow other things and so go to the next slide if you would if there's any way that any of you could jump in and make your um, time available and your labor available this is the email address to jennifer duncan okay at west noble Um, schools and if you would just email her and say yes I'm willing to volunteer plug me in where needed or if there's an area you want to serve just let her know what that area is that's the email address okay and if you'd be so kind to let her know that we'll see if Stones Hill can't step up and provide some volunteers um, for this incredible event in our in our community question I always ask if our church shrivels up and goes away would our community miss us 
And if your answer is yes, you're doing something right. If the answer is no, we're missing it somewhere. And so we want to make sure we serve and help. Last year, we had 400 bags of hygiene items to give away. And the 400th car came in. It was amazing. 400th bag, 400th car. That was it. And that was the end of the cars. 400 cars hit, came through that campus last year. I don't know how many might come through this year. But if you can help uh, serve in that capacity on Thursday, this Thursday, 3 to 7, set up at 2, break down at 8 till 8. But 3 to 7 is the hours. Email Jennifer Duncan. Let her know you can count on me. It's not 3.30 a.m. in a Honolulu, uh, Honolulu uh, greasy spoon. It's just a campus of a high school and a community school district that would appreciate your love. Maybe that's being Jesus and following this week. Thank you. God bless. Have a great week.